On April 1st, 2014, the moon rose over the small mountain town of Boquete, Panama. At the edge of town, the Pianista Trail disappeared into the jungle as it climbed into the mountains. The owner of Il Pianista, the restaurant at the trailhead, looked out into the darkness towards the forest. That morning, she'd met two Dutch tourists, Lisanne Froon and Chris Kramers. The young women had borrowed her dog, Asul, as a companion for their hike. The trail itself cut through a lush rainforest. The path was narrow and difficult to navigate, especially at night. It was easy for first-timers to get disoriented. As the minutes ticked by, the restaurant owner grew worried. The girls hadn't returned. Even Asul, who knew the trail well, was nowhere to be found. Finally, a small figure appeared from the darkness. It was Asul, dirty and trotting towards the restaurant. The owner relaxed. The girls were probably close behind. She'd have to ask Chris and Lisanne what delayed them so long. But no one followed the dog out. No other figures moved on the trail. Asul had returned home alone. Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm your host, Molly. And I'm your host, Richard. In life, there's so much we don't know. But in this show, we don't take we don't know for an answer. Every Tuesday and Thursday, we investigate the greatest mysteries of history and life on Earth. You can find episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. This is a one-part episode on the lost women of Panama. On April 1st, 2014, Lisanne Froon and Chris Kramers disappeared in the rainforest outside Boquete, Panama. Seven years later, investigators have only recovered a few scattered remains. Possible explanations for their deaths run the gamut, from dehydration to drowning to murder. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. 
In 2014, 21-year-old Chris Kramers and 22-year-old Lisanne Froon lived in Amersfoort, Netherlands. Shortly after graduating from university, the friends became roommates and co-workers. They worked together at a nearby cafe as they saved money to go on their dream trip, a six-week adventure in Panama. Tall and athletic, Lisanne was an experienced mountaineer and amateur photographer. She was interested in exploring Panama's lush jungles and beautiful landscapes. More outgoing than Lisanne, Chris apparently wanted to immerse herself in the local culture by meeting new and interesting people half a world away. In addition to relaxing and exploring, both young women planned to do some good during their trip. They arranged to volunteer with children at a local school during their stay. On March 15, 2014, Lisanne and Chris had bought their tickets, booked their hostels, and set off for Bocas del Toro, Panama. Getting to their destination wasn't easy. Between flights and layovers, their journey from Amsterdam to Costa Rica took almost 20 hours. From Costa Rica, they took a taxi and navigated the local bus system to get to the Panamanian border. Finally, they hopped aboard a ferry and sailed into Bocas del Toro on March 17th. Though their journey was a hassle, the first two weeks of their trip felt like heaven. Bocas del Toro sat on a small island off Panama's east coast, surrounded by the crystal blue Caribbean Sea. It was paradise, complete with sun, sand, and good company. Both Lisanne and Chris kept diaries during their trip, which is how we know about how they spent much of their time. Rather than following strict schedules, the two women lingered at meals with fellow tourists and enjoyed the flow of Panamanian life. Lisanne wrote that they mostly spent their days learning Spanish. Though it was difficult, Lisanne felt thrilled every time she recognized a word in conversation. She hoped that by the end of their trip, she'd have a functional grasp of the language. On March 29th, after two weeks of relaxation, the women headed to the small village of Boquete. They'd made arrangements through a Dutch-run language center called Spanish by the River to work at an elementary school. Beyond helping children, their stay in Boquete allowed them to explore Panama's natural beauty. The town was further inland, close to the vast rainforest covering the slopes of Baru Volcano National Park. Three days after their arrival at Boquete, Lisanne and Chris headed to the elementary school to start their volunteer shifts. But when they arrived, they apparently received a chilly reception. According to Lisanne's journal, the woman who owned the school rudely told the travelers to come back the following week. There had been a miscommunication between the school and the volunteer organization Spanish by the River. Even though the girls had set their dates months in advance, there was no work for them to do. Chris and Lisanne were left with a wide-open schedule for adventure. They had two weeks before the rainy season would make excursions too difficult. So, Lisanne and Chris arranged for tours of the nearby coffee plantations and planned to hike to the top of Baru, the volcano just outside of town. At some point, the girls reportedly ran into a local guide. The man has never been named in the press, but for clarity, we'll call him Manuel. Manuel offered to lead the two young women up the Pianista Trail to the El Mirador Summit. 
From there, they could see the Continental Divide. A Continental Divide is a spot, usually a ridge or mountain, where an area's river system splits in two and flows towards opposite oceans. At the Continental Divide in Panama, one can see water flowing towards both the Atlantic and Pacific Oceans at the same time. Manuel also offered for the women to stay at his ranch, which was somewhere in the jungle beyond the summit. Reluctant to stay with strangers, the two girls declined. Instead, they decided to tackle the Pianista Trail themselves. The Pianista Trail was a roughly five-mile-long out-and-back journey. It climbed over 2,000 feet up to a lookout called El Mirador, where hikers could see the Continental Divide. For avid outdoors women like Chris and Lisan, the hike would take about three or four hours. The Divide wasn't the only natural marvel on the Pianista Trail. It wound through a type of jungle called a cloud forest. At high elevation, the air pressure created low-hanging clouds and heavy mists that transformed the landscape into something out of a dream. But the Pianista Trail had its dangers. The official trail that linked Boquete to the summit was well-worn by tourist traffic. But at the end of the official trail lies a steep and rugged unofficial trail. Locals used it to travel to ranches and villages deep in the jungle. To this day, the end of the official trail is lined with signs that warn tourists of its dangers. According to the Daily Beast, the unofficial trail is so steep that hikers have to climb down on all fours to avoid falling. Game trails and creek beds also cross the track, making it easy to get lost. After a few days of navigating the wilderness, the path ultimately leads to the rushing Serpent River. Locals reportedly told the women not to attempt the Pianista Trail without an escort. But Chris and Lisanne ignored the advice, at least for the most part. They opted for an unconventional guide, a soul, a dog owned by a local restaurant owner. On the morning of April 1st, Chris and Lisanne posted on Facebook that they were meeting some fellow Dutch travelers for brunch before departing on the Pianista Trail. According to the owner of the Il Pianista restaurant, the two women began their hike around 10 a.m. She watched the two girls and the dog trek towards the edge of the jungle and disappear. As far as anyone knows, she was the last person to see them alive. Coming up, we examine what happened to Chris and Lisanne on the Pianista Trail. Wayne Simmons spent 27 years undercover for the CIA. When he retired from spy work, he got a big break. Terrorism analyst on Fox News. Then he met Kent Clisby. So I'm a real CIA guy. This is total nonsense. I'm Alex French, and I'm here to figure out who's telling the truth. Was Wayne Simmons a spy, or was he nothing but a con man? Imposters is a Spotify original from Parcast and premieres Monday, May 3rd. Follow and listen exclusively on Spotify. Now back to the story. On April 1st, 2014, Dutch tourists Lisanne Froon and Chris Kramers embarked on the Pianista Trail and never returned. The first person to notice their disappearance was the owner of a local restaurant. 
She'd let the two young women borrow her dog, Asul, for the hike. But as darkness fell, Asul returned home without the women. Word of the missing Dutch women traveled quickly. Chris and Lisanne's host family searched their neighborhood, worried the two had gotten hurt or lost. When they found no sign of the tourists, they decided to launch a more extensive investigation the next day. Meanwhile, in the Netherlands, Chris and Lisanne's parents were starting to worry about their daughters. The two young women checked in with their parents frequently. In addition to daily scheduled phone calls, they'd correspond by text message multiple times a day. But no one had heard from them since the morning of April 1st. On April 2nd, Chris's father texted the girls, asking if everything was okay. When there was no reply, he knew something was terribly wrong. Back in Panama, Manuel knocked on their host family's door. He explained that Chris and Lisanne had changed their minds and booked a tour without him for that morning, April 2nd, but he couldn't find them anywhere. Manuel and some townspeople launched a small, unofficial search party. After finding no sign of them, Manuel and a staff member from Spanish by the River contacted the Panamanian government and the women's parents. But there were two problems. First, local authorities, citing typical tourist behavior, believed the women were simply out partying. And second, they had no idea where to start their search. The official search party didn't start combing the rainforest until April 6th, five days after the girls disappeared. One of Chris and Lisanne's parents flew out to Boquete from the Netherlands along with a group of Dutch detectives. They formed teams with the local police and the Panamanian government and combed through the jungle for 10 days. By the time the initial search for Chris and Lisanne ended, the rainy season was already underway. Torrential downpours created thick mud throughout the rainforest. Teams couldn't navigate the area safely to continue looking, and they suspected flooding likely washed away any evidence the girls could have left behind. With no results from either the Dutch or Panamanian teams, the women's families grew desperate. They offered a reward of $30,000 for information leading to their daughter's safe return but they didn't receive any helpful tips. It was like Chris and Lisanne had faded away into the deep mists of the cloud forest. A break didn't come until mid-June 2014, almost two months after their disappearance. An indigenous Nobe woman from the nearby village of Alto Romero found a blue backpack and turned it into the police. The bag belonged to Lisanne. According to the woman, she'd found the pack while checking on her rice paddy on the banks of the Serpent River. About a 12-hour hike away from the Continental Divide, the women's intended destination. She was positive it hadn't been there the day before. The bag contained two cell phones, Lisanne's passport, a water bottle, 83 American dollars, and Lisanne's camera. Apparently, the bras Chris and Lisanne were wearing the day they went missing were also found inside. It was unclear how the backpack had traveled so far. It could have fallen into a river and washed up on the banks of the Serpent River. But the pack was clean and dry. The electronics inside were still functional. 
So it only made sense that someone had brought it there. After the discovery of the backpack, targeted search efforts resumed. Officials scouted the vicinity near the Serpent River, and this time, they found something. On June 19th, they announced they'd found the first of what would be 33 human bone fragments. Based on DNA, a forensics team confirmed that they were the remains of Lisanne Froon and Chris Kramers. 28 of the bones were from Lisanne's left leg and foot, which was still lodged in her boot when recovered. Authorities only found some of Chris's ribs and pelvic bones. From our research, it's not entirely clear who found the fragments or where they were discovered. According to Dutch investigators and Chris and Lisanne's families, the whole case suffered from poor police work. Panamanian authorities reportedly didn't mark off the remains or perform a grid search of the nearby area. They neglected to collect soil samples to compare with the bones. As a result, they couldn't tell if the bones had been moved. When the Dutch Forensics Institute finally received Lisanne's backpack for analysis, they discovered over 30 different sets of fingerprints on its contents. The Panamanian police hadn't handled the bag with care, let alone treated it as evidence. But investigators could still glean some info from the recovered items, most notably Lisanne's camera, which was filled with time-stamped photographs of their time on the Pianista Trail. From the pictures, officials learned Chris and Lisanne reached the summit at the end of the Pianista Trail around 1 p.m. on April 1st, roughly three hours after they departed. They took multiple snapshots overlooking the Continental Divide. One of the last pictures they took in the daylight was taken around 2 p.m. that day. In the photo, the sun is out, unobstructed by trees. Chris is standing alone on a rock near a creek bed. Based on perspectives, Lisanne likely took the picture from higher ground from far away. Unlike the other photos, Chris isn't posing or smiling. Keith Rosenthal, a forensic photograph analyst, examined the pictures. He believed that the photos indicated that the women ended up on the unofficial trails of the mountain. Judging by the dramatic changes in Chris's expressions, he suspected the young women had gotten terribly lost. Many of the photos appeared to be of the same objects from slightly different angles. A couple show sticks, plastic bags, and trash arranged on rocks. Rosenthal believed that Lisanne and Chris might have been taking photographs to keep track of where they had already been as a way to mark the trail. According to Chris's cell phone records, she first called emergency services their first day at 9.39 p.m. She dialed 112, the emergency number for the Netherlands, which should have connected to local authorities, but the girls had no service in the jungle. The only clues to what happened over the following days were the photos and cell phone records left behind. Someone attempted to call 112 with both phones again on April 2nd and April 3rd. They switched the phones on once per day after that, perhaps looking for reception and trying to conserve battery. On April 5th, Lisanne's phone died. Chris's phone was only activated twice more, once on April 6th 
and then again five days later on April 11th. Investigators alleged April 5th was the last day the women accessed Chris's phone. Whoever switched it on the next day didn't know the passcode. They tried multiple times to unlock the device without success. There's two possible explanations for this. First, Lisanne was trying to use Chris's phone, but Chris, for whatever reason, wasn't able to tell her the passcode. She could have been sleeping, unconscious, or worse. And second, a third party entered the picture. Whatever the case, based on photographs, we know that Chris and Lisanne were still alive by April 8th, a week after their disappearance. Someone shot about 90 photos in the early morning of April 8th, between 1.30 and 4.30 a.m. Many of the images are too dark to make out anything clearly, but some show rocks and trees illuminated by the flash. One image even shows a small mirror face up on a boulder, as if Chris and Lisanne used it to signal planes. And several others show the back of Chris's head, indicating that Lisanne could have been using the flash to light the path. But even with the photos and cell phone records, it's difficult to get a sense of what Lisanne and Chris were thinking and experiencing. But according to experts, officials found another significant clue in the backpack, an empty water bottle. Lisanne and Chris only brought one bottle of water between them and very little food. They likely remained alive until at least April 8th when they took the night photos. Humans can only survive without water for about three days. So this indicates Chris and Lisanne found water somewhere else. Carl Weil, director of Colorado's Wilderness Medical Program, believed the women suffered from dehydration after drinking water filled with bacteria and parasites. After a day, they would have developed diarrhea, which would lead to dehydration and physical weakness. Weil suspected the women could have survived at least a week despite having no food or shelter. However, he stated the women would be, quote, psychologically and physically impaired. Because no one ever found the majority of their remains, experts can't determine if they got sick from river water. But according to some investigators, the river might have played a significant role in their disappearance. Vile believed the scattered remains indicated that the river swept them away. If Chris and Lisanne followed the unofficial path, they would eventually reach the Serpent River. This is a powerful waterway filled with giant boulders that could destroy anything swept along in its current. Vile hypothesized that Chris and Lisanne fell while trying to cross a bridge built by the indigenous Nobe people. These structures, also called monkey bridges, seemingly appeared in the background of several of Chris and Lisanne's photos. Made of only three cables, two for your hands and one for your feet, They stretched across the Serpent River, 70 feet in the air, and were both precarious and dangerous. According to a local guide, the bridges often wobbled and swayed. It would be easy for someone to lose their balance. Even the Nobe people, who used the cables often, sometimes fell to their deaths. Lisanne's leg bones showed signs of fracturing, which indicated she might have fallen from a significant height. 
If she slipped off a rope bridge, the impact may have been enough to sever her leg from her body, and this could explain why it washed ashore by itself. But not everyone believed this theory, including Chris Kramer's family lawyer. He noted that Chris and Lee Sand disappeared at the end of the dry season. The river would be relatively shallow, making it difficult to sweep a body downstream. And he wasn't the only one to question the accidental nature of the young women's deaths. Since their disappearance in 2014, rumors have flown around Boquete, saying the girls were victims of foul play. And the primary suspect was the man who led the search to find them. Coming up, we discuss whether Manuel murdered Chris and Lisanne. Now back to the story. On April 1st, 2014, Lisanne Froon and Chris Kramer went missing while hiking Panama's Pianista Trail. Their remains were found two months later, washed up at the edge of the Serpent River. Though some believe they died in an accident, many Boquete locals suspected they were murdered. And evidence seems to support their suspicions. By the time Chris's blue backpack was found, the rainy season had already started. But the pack, which was not waterproof, was found dry and clean by a flooded rice paddy. There was no evidence of mold inside, and all of the electronics inside were in working condition. If Chris and Lisanne were swept away by the river, the pack would be waterlogged. Even if they abandoned it somewhere in the jungle, the bag would have gotten soaked. Which meant something, or someone, must have kept it dry. And the bag wasn't the only detail that didn't quite add up. According to Dr. Reichs, a forensic anthropologist, remains left out in the elements normally attract animals. If Chris and Lisanne fell into the river or died of dehydration, their bones would have marks and scratches left on them by jungle creatures. And yet... The coroner reportedly didn't find any abrasions on the bones, not even under a microscope. And if Chris and Lisanne didn't decompose in the jungle or in the river, maybe someone had disposed of their remains. Maybe the person who unsuccessfully tried to unlock Chris's phone on April 6th and April 11th. After all, anyone could have contacted emergency services without knowing the passcode. Meaning, whoever it was had no intention of calling for help. They may have even wished the women harm. If such a person did exist, locals and investigators suspected one person. The tour guide. The man we're calling Manuel. On March 31st, Manuel offered Chris and Lisanne a tour of the Pianista Trail and Continental Divide, complete with a stay on his ranch. It's not clear why, but the women refused his offer. Manuel also appeared at the host family's house on April 2nd looking for the girls. He claimed they had booked a trip with him after all, and the three of them were supposed to set out that morning. It's unclear whether this was true or if Manuel was lying. Later that day, when the girls hadn't appeared, Manuel and a Spanish-by-the-river staff member contacted the Panamanian government together. Manuel led many of the search parties that combed through the jungle after the girls' disappearance. 
Some sources even allege he was the one who discovered Lisanne's hiking boot and foot beneath a tree. Furthermore, according to one source, the woman who found Lisanne's backpack worked on Manuel's ranch. It certainly raised suspicions that a man with virtually no connection to Chris and Lisanne would be so vital to this case. And the women's disappearance is not the first time Manuel had been the center of gossip in Boquete. Other female tourists had allegedly complained about Manuel sexually harassing them. He apparently liked to drop by the local hot springs to make suggestive comments and passes at the women. Townspeople alleged that Manuel could have been upset that Lisanne and Chris rejected his tour and then followed them into the jungle. He may have even herded them towards the more difficult unofficial trail because the path led them closer to his ranch. After killing them, he could have dismembered their bodies and scattered their remains in the river to wash up in dozens of locations, and then sent one of his employees to deliver Lee San's backpack to the police to get rid of the evidence, having her say it just appeared by the river. In leading the search efforts himself, Manuel may have been trying to avoid suspicion. By literally directing where investigators searched, he could get away with not one, but two murders. Of course, these rumors were baseless speculation. In reality, it's highly unlikely Manuel had anything to do with Lisanne and Chris's deaths. In addition to having no history of criminal activity, there's no physical evidence connecting him to their deaths, only conjecture. Apart from verbal harassment, as far as we can tell, Manuel's a well-regarded, reputable tour guide in the area. In fact, the reason he became so integral to the search and rescue efforts was because of his knowledge of the rainforest. Manuel knew every inch of the Pianista Trail. As we briefly mentioned, he lived in the same area where the girls got lost. If he ever had the backpack in his possession, it wouldn't really make sense for him to turn it in, even to remove the backpack from his possession. Authorities already assumed it was lost in the jungle or washed down the river. Returning it would have only put himself at risk of getting caught. Once rumors of his involvement in the women's deaths made headlines, Manuel staunchly defended himself. According to him, he'd met the women in town for the first and last time on the 31st. And he continuously reiterated the story that he only wanted to help and had nothing to do with their disappearance. Forensic anthropologist Dr. Kathy Reichs believed Manuel, adding that she believed no third party was ever involved. She drew this conclusion based on the lack of theft. Authorities recovered a Samsung phone, an iPhone, and a Canon camera from the backpack, in addition to 83 American dollars and Lisanne's passport. And based on the photographs captured, the girls were lost on their own, left to their own devices, at least until they met their end. Based on investigators' constructed timeline, Chris and Lisanne could have been alive when officials and Manuel started their search five days after they didn't return from their hike. If efforts started earlier, they might still be alive today. Many experts have criticized this case for police incompetence. 
It's possible the Panamanian authorities lost or destroyed evidence that could have solved the disappearance. Dutch investigators accused them of never doing a thorough grid search of the area where the bones were found. And beyond that, over 30 unidentified fingerprints were found contaminating Lisanne's backpack. These could have been from the indigenous Nobe people who discovered the bag, the police, or a murderer. But the authorities haven't connected them to anyone. And as a result, there are just too many unknowns and loose ends to call this case closed. Perhaps the answers Lisanne and Chris's family still search for lie somewhere underneath the heavy canopy just waiting to be found. But until that day, the truth lies just out of reach, as intangible as the swirling jungle mist of Panama. Thanks again for tuning in to Unexplained Mysteries. We will be back next time with an all-new episode. For more information on the lost women of Panama, amongst the many sources we used, we found the Daily Beast and Medium extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. See you next time. And remember, never take We Don't Know for an answer. Unexplained Mysteries is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Russell Nash, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Unexplained Mysteries was written by Sheila Mong, with writing assistance by Molly Quinlan and Connor Sampson. Fact-checking by Cara Mackerline and research by Bradley Klein. Unexplained Mysteries stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rossner. Richard Rossner.